Hello, my name is Leila and I'm the founder of Dietitian Your Way, a dietitian network empowering dietitians and nourishing communities. Today we're speaking to Lorena. Lorena specializes in the multicultural aspects of diabetes self-management education and is an expert in developing culturally and ethnically oriented nutrition and diabetes education materials. So excited to have you on with us today, Lorena, because I think you have so much experience and just so much uniqueness as well to your platform that's going to be so helpful for our dietetics community. So I appreciate you hopping on with us today to talk a little bit about your platform and about your path um, on becoming a dietitian. Glad to be here, Leda. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so just to begin with, tell me a little bit about how you began and why did you want to become a dietitian? Well, at first I didn't want to become a dietitian. I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. Uh, doctor of medicine. That was my goal when I first arrived here in the United States. Um, I am Colombian and more specifically, I am from the Caribbean coast, uh, from the Atlantic. Um, just to kind of give you a little bit of context, uh, Colombia is the only country in South America that has two coasts. So we have the Atlantic coast and we also have the Pacific coast. I am from the Atlantic coast. When I first came to the United States, I spoke English. I was very fortunate to have attended a, an American school throughout my entire life. I graduated from high school in Colombia. So I spoke English and I graduated with both an American diploma, as well wow. as a Colombian diploma. I started college here in the United States um, after graduating, and I wanted to be a medical doctor. However, I was always interested in food uh, and nutrition. So I took a class uh, because it was a personal interest and I loved it. I thought it was so interesting to learn about food and about nutrition. So that changed my entire life. And it was still in the science. It was still health. I still had to take chemistry. Yeah. I still had to take biology. Crazy courses. Mm -hmm. And it was, it did not feel that I had strayed away from my original goal to remain in the health field. And I was, I was always on a diet. Uh, I yeah. have to say, even when I was in Colombia, I was always on a diet. Wow. Uh, so I always wanted that food uh, health connection. So it just felt perfectly um, in line with what I wanted to do. I love it. I guess, is there a dietitian field in Colombia? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's pretty absolutely. cool. Do they, is there similarities in how we practice here and over there? Well, since I am familiar because I have gone back to Colombia, I have friends that are diabetes educators and I have actually presented in Colombia and I wow. have worked with uh, pharma um, in Colombia. They are much more strict when it comes to medical nutrition therapy. Very, very strict. As a matter of fact, I uh, recorded a webinar yesterday and I have also recorded webinars 
for uh, our Mexican colleagues. And when it comes to uh, portion, when it comes to uh, diabetes management, they are really very strict when it comes to therapeutic diets. And then as far as your experience goes, do you find that it's a little bit, I guess, a combination of both like what's being taught there and then what we do here or... Yes, absolutely. Like I said, uh, yesterday, I recorded part of my, my program breaking the cultural code, I, uh, I was doing the Colombian uh, session. And what I did was I showed the Colombian plate method, um, which is uh, similar to, to the choose my plate. Yes. And I was showing the similarities as of the oh, Colombian wow. plate method to the American plate method. Uh, I have worked with my colleagues in Mexico and uh, we have worked with the Mexican plate method. Uh, so, yeah. They're, they're I love so it. Tell me a little bit why you think, I mean, I'm obviously an advocate, but why do you think it's so important that we are culturally attuned to these different cultures when we're dietitians? What, what is the importance for the communities? What is the importance for dietitians to know about this? The reason is that we live in a society uh, here in, uh, in the United States that uh, we have so many different Hispanics from different Hispanic subgroups. It is important for all of us, including Hispanic dietitians. It is impossible to learn about every single group, but we understand that as we have more non-communicable diseases and more chronic conditions, and we have such a, that food unite us all. Mm-hmm. And the importance that regardless of where we are in the acculturation spectrum, whether we arrived in this country yesterday, mm-hmm. or we are first generation, mm-hmm. in my case, I am foreign born and foreign raised. Uh, in your uh, case, you are a first generation yeah. uh, American of uh, Hispanic ancestry. We still have a attachment to the food, the cultural foods. Yes. Whether it's once in a while, whether it's every day, there is still an attachment to those yes. foods. So they have an integral part of our lives. Yes. And also culture, which encompasses health beliefs and practices. Of course. So when we know that as a health professional, we can then connect a little bit better with our patients. Yes. And by doing so, we can help to optimize their health goals. Yes. And when we don't know, then there may be a little bit of a disconnect. So if we understand that this person may use a certain treatment uh, to manage um, 
the high cholesterol levels and we ask the right questions to elicit that answer. Correct. We might be able to uh, either support that person or perhaps say, do you know that that treatment uh, may hinder the medication that you're taking or may be contraindicated or simply it may do nothing. Yeah. But it may be important for that person yeah. to continue doing it. Yes. So that makes a big difference when we are aware or of those practices. The same thing with food. We may be able to understand that a certain cooking method, we may need to help that person to modify that cooking method. But if we have no idea about right. that cooking method, then we may not understand why that blood glucose level continues to be elevated. And then we may just continue to increase that insulin. We, right. we may be increasing that medication because we are not aware of what is occurring at home. So yes. that's why I believe that understanding culture is paramount for the health professional. Yeah, I think there's so much work to do in the medical field, not just with dietitians, right? We're talking about nurses and doctors and physicians, because how many times too, you know, have we had patients who come to us and unfortunately they're being uh, misled and having misgiven misinformation, um, you know, and, and, and making them feel like their culture is is something to be ashamed of or something that just doesn't, um, isn't going to be for their health. Right. And I think it just falls on deaf ears because you can't tell somebody, you know, not to eat tortillas, right. For example, it's really big for Central Americans and it's, it's going to fall on deaf ears because it's not going to be practical for them. I think the information that you're giving out today, um, hopefully it falls on all of our ears, dietitian ears, so that, you know, we can, uh, uh try to help enforce and help engage people and and help meet people where they're at because you know like you said there's tons of different cultures out there and there's a lot to learn so yeah. the more that we can learn and engage the better we can um, take care of our, our, our customers our patients our clients yeah and I also want to say that just because a healthcare professional is Hispanic does not mean that this individual knows every other Hispanic subgroup. Correct. Um, just because I am Colombian Correct. does not make me an expert in Costa Rican Correct. culture or Mexican or Venezuelan, etc. I may be able to speak the language because I am a native speaker, but I still don't know all the colloquialism of different subgroups or meals or culture. So um, when, again, when I created Breaking the Cultural Code, which was bringing the culture of different countries, I had to look for experts that were familiar with each culture. And even then, 
um, each individual had to also research their own countries. Mm -hmm. because let's take Mexico, for example. If I born and raised in Mexico City, I may not know a lot about Merida because Mexico is such a yes. rich country in culture yeah. that there are nine distinct right. languages and cultures and foods and music that just reducing Mexico to just one country, several meals right. and foods is doing zero justice to the richness and vastness of the rich culture of Mexico. Even for Nicaragua, actually, the country where my parents are from, my heritage, if you go from one coast to the other coast, it's completely different exactly. cuisines. We have exactly. a gallo pinto, which is pretty popular, but the gallo pinto that's made on the, what is it, the Atlantic coast, I believe, is more Caribbean. So they use coconut oil. And it gives that nice coconut flavor, right? So even, yeah, even different regions of different, of the Absolutely. same country is going to be completely different. Yeah. And their Absolutely. primary language is actually English, not Spanish, which is... Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The same thing on um, Colombia is eight distinct regions. There are certain fruits that I have never tasted from the Amazon. I have never gone to the Amazon in Colombia. I didn't know Amazon was in Colombia, actually. Now that I think about it, that's crazy. The people are also different, meaning the different ethnic groups in mm. Colombia are distinct. Yeah. We have more than 70 indigenous, different indigenous groups in Colombia. I was just going to ask about that. That is the richness of Latin America. Yeah. That is, I adore Latin America. I, I am just fascinated. Yeah. I wish I was like Eva Longoria. Eva Longoria has a show right now on, I think. Yes. And now she's like, she's like traveling all through Mexico, just okay. learning oh, about the different cuisines correct. in Mexico. Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. I adore Mexico. Sign me up. Yeah. I adore Mexico. I have been very lucky to have been able to um, have colleagues, and I have been able to be very lucky to work with La Federación Mexicana de Diabetes nice. and being invited to be a speaker wow. and uh, learn about the culture. So I have a special, special, special place in my heart for Mexico. So and tell Mexico. me, with that being said, because You've had such an amazing career. I mean, I feel like we could talk for hours about all the things that you've done. Give me some highlights about your career. What are, what are some crazy and cool things that you've been able to experience um, as a dietitian? Well, I have been around for, for many years. I have been very involved in the profession. But if I have to say one thing that really marked my professional life was becoming a certified diabetes care and education specialist, formerly um, known as a certified diabetes educator. So the name was changed a few years ago. Um, I think that's when I can divide my life as a before and after. <laughs> and uh, being a certified diabetes care and education specialist and being someone who was um, Hispanic, 
those two things being in that in that arena uh, made and living in the Northeast made me realize that there weren't that many people that were involved that were Hispanic and there that their specialty was diabetes education and that there was paucity in the literature about individuals that were not Mexican, educational materials that were created for persons that were not Mexican, which in many ways it did make sense because um, 60% or more of the population that is Hispanic is Mexican. Mm -hmm. But then 35% of the population that is Hispanic is not Mexican. So I felt what is out there for that population that it's not Mexican, a population like me. Every time that I did research, everything was Mexicans or Hispanics. Right. And then I was trying to look for non-Mexican Hispanics. So what was happening for them? So then I would find if it was in Haines, it was Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, and Cubans. And then somewhere out there, yeah. it was South Americans and Central Americans. Yeah. So if I wanted to find a Salvadorian or a Guatemalan, they're out there lumped into a right. Central American or a South American. Well, there's a major difference between a Colombian or a Venezuelan and a Uruguayan or a Chilean. Right. And certainly much different than an Argentinian. So to put us all together into one group and say, Centra South Americans, the prevalence of type 2 diabetes is 7% or 6% at that time. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Or to say all Hispanics, the prevalence of diabetes, and I'm talking about 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 6%. And I'm saying, how can you put nine so Spanish-speaking countries in South America? and say that our prevalence of type 2 diabetes is this. This makes zero sense. Yeah. And then Hispanics became all together into this group when they are different uh, races, ethnicities within Latin America in general. That didn't make much sense to me. Educational materials didn't make much sense to me. So I figured I have to start creating my own educational materials. Amazing. And that's how everything began. I began to say the things that I'm saying to you. And I started to create educational materials. And I started to speak about it. And then I was pretty much the only one at the time that I started putting educational materials together. And then my husband said to me, you have so much, you could, you know, write a book. Nice. And, um, and that's when I reached out to the American Diabetes Association. And I said, you know, you don't have anything uh, on wow. non-Mexicans. Uh, you barely have anything on Mexicans. 
and my I said, you know, it's very difficult to publish a book. No one is going to. And the second I sent that, literally the next day, someone from the editing department reached out to me, signing me up for the book. Go you. Yes. Wow. wow. So that's when my first book was born. And um, they went ahead with my title. They went ahead with my idea that it had to be published in English and Spanish. They went ahead with pretty much everything. Amazing. Then I... What, what year was this, if you don't mind me asking? 2003, 20 years yeah. ago. Okay. Wow. You're definitely a trailblazer for sure. So then Not, I, you know, I started working with the diabetes DPG and writing a column about food and culture. I felt that was very important to bring culture. And then I became known for food and culture. Love food it. Food and culture became the, if you want somebody to talk about food and culture and Hispanic health, talk to Lorena. And then I started uh, reading more about Hispanic health, becoming more immersed in Hispanic health. And that became, I wanted to learn more about the major Hispanic subgroups. And I wanted to become more attached to anything and everything that was related to culture and the different foods and health beliefs of the largest Hispanic groups and connected to everything that was diabetes, culture, and health. And little by little, uh, I started being called by different groups that I heard you speak before. I liked uh, your presentation. Can you speak for us? Can you speak for us? Can you speak for us? Brands started reaching out uh, for me to speak on behalf of them. And then from there, it starts snowballing. This person hears me at this event, then wow. and invites me for this event. Um, the second book came about, the Academy reached out to me. And then the second book was published. And then uh, I reached, by then, then you establish relationships. And then the third book was published. The third book did Amazing. very well. Um, and then they asked me, can you write the second edition of the book? It has done very well. Oh. I just wrote the second edition of the book and it will be published next year, I believe. Nice. What is a book called? I always forget the title. <laughs> so I have to turn around. It's called tips, tools, and activities, the 15-minute consultation, tips, tools, and activities to make your nutrition consultation great. But we decided to call it something else. So I don't remember okay. what the title we'll have to is. Wait, I guess, to 2024 to but see. It's on, the, it's on the website and it's going to be called something else, something a little shorter. Okay. Um, and it's going to be published by the Academy. Love it. You've done so much great work for us. I mean, it's amazing how much you've accomplished. I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn something completely different about what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love it because we need this. We need this in our culture. We need this in the dietetics community. And um, I think 
the work that you're doing is fascinating. I think it's about getting involved, working, working, working a lot, um, finding something that you're passionate about and saying yes, saying yes to as many projects as you, as you can and always doing an excellent job. Yeah, giving your best. I think that's what it is. I am also the food editor for Diabetes Self-Management magazine. Wow. And, Tell me more. Uh, Keep going. Tell me everything, everything you got going on. Also the, on the editorial board for AADE in Practice, which is a peer-reviewed journal uh, for the Association of Diabetes the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialist. I am always looking for authors, always looking for authors in the area of nutrition and lifestyle for the for the magazine. The magazine am, is called what again? Uh, I am the department editor for the food and lifestyle which is food and exercise, food and food, um, food, nutrition and exercise. I love it. Very nice. So let's focus in on your business currently. Tell me, let's go through the profile dietitian way. Let's go through the um, course that you have coming out for dietitians to get more acquainted with cultures. But yes, everything that you've done, I mean, it's, it's like just hearing it. I mean, it's amazing, but I feel overwhelmed. Like, I'm just like, wow, how, how did you, how did you accomplish all this? Like, what did you, what's your, your secret to being able to accomplish all of this? No secret. Um, <laughs> like I said before, there are many Hispanic dietitians now that I see that are very involved and that's wonderful, you know, to see that, um, that they are, enthusiastically involved yeah. look at you you have dietitian your way uh, that you. never existed yeah. when um 20 years ago yeah 10 years ago did not exist i see many other hispanic dietitians that are breaking into areas that are non-traditional Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really, really wonderful that they are doing that, that they are breaking away from um, non-traditional roles in nutrition and dietetics. Yeah. So it's good to see that. It's good yeah. to see that they are doing that, that they are mm -hmm. working very hard. The difference is that I started earlier and, and probably in another 20 years you will see other dietitians that are mm -hmm. going to be doing other things too. And yep. that's just it. Some people start uh, earlier and then there are more people um, that, that will follow. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. I think so yeah. too is that you're definitely a trailblazer, right? Because when the position didn't exist, you created it for yourself. You saw the need and you went after it okay. and you created it for yourself. Okay. And other people will see the need in other areas that do not exist. Social media did not exist when those things were occurring. So uh, I didn't have social media. Yeah. Social media has been such a, a powerful engine for, for things like this, right? Because yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
at the time it was just people were developing websites. Yeah. That was like the the breaking ground. I still yeah. remember going to Fancy and people were using using their their website, talking about how to have your own website. And then it was Twitter and everybody was just <laughs> using Twitter and Twitter was it. Yeah. So now we have, now we have all these different things. And I remember when TikTok became it, which mm-hmm. was during the pandemic, mm-hmm. when people started becoming much and much familiar. So things, things become uh, new and people adopt mm-hmm. certain things. And then there might be things that will come out that you may decide that those are not the things you may decide to use in the future because there might be other things yeah. that will come out that you may not have the time to do. Right. Or you will do it and then decide this no longer serves me. And then yeah. you move into another direction. And yeah. that is totally okay, yeah. you know, to do. Yeah, I think for dietitians, a great thing is that we can pivot because our, our field provides us, yeah, so many different aspects. We can be the media. We can write books. We can create courses. We can do private practice. We can be a clinical dietitian. There's so many avenues. It's the greatest thing about our career is that there's a plethora of things if we get bored one year with one thing, well, we can start a different thing, right? Um, Correct. So Correct. it's pretty cool. And and I also want to say that if you start something and after a year or two, that no longer fulfills you moving another direction. Give yeah. it your all, but if it no longer serves you, you don't have to be there. And when do you, what would be your advice to people who are wondering if this is something that serves them or doesn't serve them or, or you know, it, when is a good moment to say, okay, I think I've had enough and I think I need to move on to a different, you know, part of dietetics. What do you think would be a, a good advice for people who are wondering if they're in the right position or the right um, part of our field? If it's um, not making money for you, um, that's that's one way to know if okay. it's not making money for a while um, and you have tried to do several things and it's just not making money for you and if you are miserable, <laughs> if you feel that you're running on yeah. empty and nothing that you have tried, um, truly tried, yeah. is not moving the needle for you. Yeah and you feel truly empty, then it's time to start making plans to uh, move in another direction. I never left a job without having another job Mm -hmm. planned for me. But if you start to feel that things are not going in the right direction, then start to plan for an exit strategy. Okay. It's great advice. I think a lot of us sometimes, because I know I've been there where I have been in positions where they drive me nuts and it's miserable. And I think, um, you know, for our generation and younger generations too, it's more like, 
you know, we kind of get pressured from a different, um, you know, external stimuli of, you know, this is what we should be doing. This is what we need to do. Right. But I think, you know, we kind of have to take a step back, take a few steps back and kind of, you know, look around and see what are some things that we want to venture into, right. Without any kind of pressures from external stimuli. Um, and I think that could be a little bit hard for, for a lot of people, right. Um, if they feel like, you know, the safety net net of having, you know, a full-time job, but yet they want to do recipe analysis or content creation, right. I think that's a lot of times people feel like they need to do one thing or another. And so I, I can definitely see, you know, the struggle there for a lot of, um, a lot of generation, a lot of younger generations, for sure. Yeah, I could see when it's difficult if you have children, if you need yep, uh, health insurance. Yeah, those things are hard. But um, it's like you said, you know, you kind of have to plan it out and and you know have a plan so you feel prepared to take that leap. Correct. Yeah, Absolutely. great, great advice. And uh, let's look at what you got going on on Dietitian Your Way, and let's dive deep into the cultural code, which I'm pretty excited to hear more about. So this is Lorena's page on Dietitian Your Way. And so what um, services do you offer? So I know you have courses and you do a lot, as we mentioned earlier. Do you do one-on-ones? Um, I do. do you- I still love one-on-one. I love groups, um, but I do still do it and uh however i limit my practice just for pre-diabetes diabetes diabetes, metabolic syndrome that's pretty much it uh i'm licensed in new york and in florida i do take insurance um and uh that's that's pretty much it uh for for um, the conditions that um, that I see, I don't see any other medical conditions. Diabetes uh, is is my life. Um, yeah, you're very passionate about that, definitely. Oh, very much so. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yes. And then, um, as you mentioned, uh, this is a course. Uh, it's on demand. Uh, for dietitians, uh, diet technicians, and uh, diabetes educators, and this is for for Hispanics and non-Hispanics. And the reason that I built this course, um, when you can check on it you will see all the testimonials. It's really a great, great course. You have about a year and a half to take it. So you can take it on your own time. It's approved for an ethics CPE activity is 15 CEUs. Wow, amazing. um, It's really to learn how to counsel your Hispanic patients with confidence. So what is it that it's special about this particular course? If you want to learn about your Hispanic patient from the six largest Hispanic subgroups in the United States, so your Hispanic patient walks in the door and says, 
I had a mamache and I have diabetes. Um, can I still have it? And now you are thinking, what the heck is mame? <laughs> and you're trying to Google it, but you have no idea how to even Google mame. So you are dumbfounded because you have no idea what it is. You don't know how it's prepared, nothing. And so this is the course for you. If you want to know what questions to ask, if you want to know all about what are the right questions to ask, how do you put a meal plan together? Wow. And if you want to know what's the difference between foods from Guatemala and foods from El Salvador, then you have diabetes educator from El Salvador that it's talking about the different foods from El Salvador. You have a dietitian and diabetes educator from uh, El Salvador that it's talking about the different foods. So here, here they are. Wow. Different dietitians from El Salvador, from Guatemala, from Mexico, from Puerto Rico, from the Dominican Republic and Cuba. Nice. And click to see exactly what they're going to be talking about. They're going to be talking about how to do a cross-cultural assessment, how to elicit information about their health beliefs and practices, how to give a class, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or a class. And there you have all these different testimonials. You have oh. resources. You have culinary demonstrations. You have a recipe for each of the most traditional foods of each of the countries. I love it. So it's really a very, very nice uh, session. You can go back and take a look uh, of any of the different countries. So you have a patient from El Salvador, you want to know what are the typical foods, you can go back to it. You have a patient from Cuba, Love you want to know what are, so if, you, if you're a dietetic student, it's only $79. It's Amazing. a steal. So why? Because I want all the students that are going to be the registered dietitians of the future. Yes. I want them to be prepared for those cross-cultural encounters. I love it. And the dietitians, I want them to be ready too. So if they have a patient that is from the Dominican Republic, but they have only seen patients from El Salvador and Guatemala, and now what if they tell them, uh, oh, so when you have tortillas and that patient says, tortillas, I don't need tortillas. I'm mm -hmm. not Mexican. So now what are you going to do? Do you know the difference between a meal from the Dominican Republic and a meal from Mexico right. or from Guatemala? So those are the, oh my God, moments that as a dietitian, you need to know. Right. 
and you need to have those resources. So that's the reason why this program together. Yeah. I mean, even tortillas are, are different. Tortillas in Nicaragua are completely different tortillas in, in Mexico. Completely different. They're like twice the size in Nicaragua. That's amazing. I, I love, love, love this. And I think um, I was actually wondering, have you um, tried to, um, you know, advertise this or, or give it to the MSCI programs uh, for their students to, to, to learn? Which program did you say? Like just MSCI programs or dietetic internships? No, I have not. Yeah, this would be so great because I think I'd be, I mean, it's what we need. I think if they can go out already prepared, you know, from the get go and just know what they, um, a little bit of a culture and be a little bit more uh, acclimated and, and understand these cultures. And when they step out into their, you know, dietetic internships or the MSCR programs or as just dietitians, they're already prepared. They have some background, they have some knowledge. Um, and I mean, I definitely didn't get this knowledge um, in school. You know, that was like 10 years ago, but I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that they are. And if not, I think this would be a great resource to have for all MSCI programs. I feel like it should be like part of their contracts of like, okay, we got to have some cultural um, information here as part of the DI programs. That's interesting. Um, I think it should. Yeah, I think that that is something definitely for me to think about. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is where our our country is moving towards, right? It's a mesh of different cultures, and um, yeah. it's pretty important yeah. for us to, as professionals, to be able to educate patients, even if it's not exactly. from our specific culture. Exactly. No, I I agree with you. Uh, thank you for mentioning it to me. Yeah. Um, anything else you'd like to mention about? Um, your business, about uh, breaking the cultural code, any uh, events or webinars? Um, are you going to be uh, at well, Fancy? Yes, I'm going to be at Fancy um, in Denver, and I'm going to have a booth. Um, and I'm going to be uh, certainly talking about breaking the cultural code. So I'm very excited. It's going to be the first time that mm. I am going to have a booth. So I know that I am going to be um, hopefully chatting with um, many, many dietitians. And I also um, created educational tools. So I'm going to be um, also disseminating that. I have created um, measuring cups. Ooh. I think that many, many years ago. Um, I haven't uh, talked about them, but uh, I created them, I would say, close to about uh, maybe 15 years ago, uh, I would say. And uh, these are measuring cups uh, that I mostly created for people with diabetes. Mm -hmm. And on the outside of the cups, um, in English and in Spanish, there are the names of most common foods oh, with nice. the carbohydrate okay. of the foods for people that are managing their blood glucose I and they need it. to know the carbohydrate of the food. So instead of going and looking for the carbohydrate of the foods, you already know. 
you already know because it's on the cup. Very clever. And uh, and also the exchanges, if they're doing exchanges, mm -hmm. and also the calories are of the food are right there as well. Okay. So if someone, is, let's say, is going to have rice and they're using the one cup measure, mm -hmm. then it would have 240 calories and 45 grams of carbs. If nice. they're using the half a cup, it would say that it has about 120 right. calories and also it would have about 22 grams of carbs. So nice. if they're counting carbs or if they're counting calories or if they're doing exchanges, right. everything is going to be it. on the cup. Love it. Love it. That's so clever because usually, yeah, I send patients to to use the measuring cups. But if they had that, they'd be, it'd be so much simpler. They wouldn't even exactly. have to. Yeah, that's exactly. really, really smart. So you're going to have that at your booth? Yes. To show? Okay. Yes, to show. And then, of course, if they want to order, they will have to order it. Um, you know, the cups are in the... Um, I have two companies that... Um, that sell the cups so okay. they will order it from the company. Nice. Very nice. I love it. What's your most favorite thing? I'm very curious. What's your most favorite thing that you've done as a dietitian in your experience? The most funnest favorite thing that you've experienced? <sighs> Let's see. It's kind of hard to nail down. <laughs> what's, the, what's the most fun? I think the most uh, writing I write a lot. Mm -hmm. I write content, um, but I wouldn't call that fun. Uh, writing is not fun. <laughs> uh, it's fun when it's done. Yeah. You your book, that part is fun. But the actual process of writing is torturous. Yeah. Um, so the end product is exhilarating. Okay but not fun. Giving presentations is fun. I do enjoy presenting. I do enjoy speaking. Okay. I think that that, I know that people hate it. They find it to be uh, tormenting, but I enjoy speaking. Yeah. I, I did too, actually. Yeah, I, I did too. It, it is, it is uh, torturous sometimes though. But overall. Uh, no, I do. I do like it. I do That's like good. it. Yeah. So giving presentations and the exhilarating process of already having the book in your hand. The two yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Giving presentations and um, when, uh, when individuals that you're presenting to mm -hmm. get the information and, and they feel that 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 information was helpful and now they can do something positive yeah. with that information. Yeah. That is, is extremely rewarding. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what's kept me as a dietitian for this long is that rewarding piece where they feel alleviated. Yeah, like, um, oh like, my gosh, I didn't know this. And now I'm going to be able to do this with this information. That yeah. is very rewarding. And they live their life freely because a lot of the times we get patients who feel yeah, rewarded. Oh and gosh, like they got it. Like they never knew yeah. this. And now they're, I'm going to worry less. Yeah. 
uh, because I, now I, I understand this. I'm yeah. going to worry less. Yeah. So yeah, that part is important. I love it. I love everything that you have to offer. I love the fact that you guys have put this great CEU product, the Breaking the Cultural Code together. I'm excited to see you at Fancy. I'll be there as well. Um, I finally get to see all my peers. Oh, you are. Yeah, I, I get to see all my peers in person, which is going to be awesome. Um, anything last? Any last words that you want to mention? No, just become involved um, at the. Uh, I would say city level or state level with your organization. Um, I, I believe that that is uh, extremely important. Uh, if you, you know, your voice needs to be heard and if you feel like things need to change, then you need to change it. Yeah. Yes. Um, you cannot expect that things are going to change if you are not the voice um, to start making those changes. So that's the reason why it is important to be a, an active participant in different organizations when you want to see that change and then encourage others to be, to, you know, to do the same. Um, and whatever job you do, be as excellent in that job as possible and uh, knock on all the doors, knock on every single Great door. Advice. Um, if you want to write a book, then find the publisher. If it. you want something, if you see that, oh, this person is doing blank, whatever it is that that person is doing, uh, ask that person, how did you do this? Most likely, most likely, someone will tell you how they achieve that. I love it. Uh, and if that person doesn't want to share it, find someone else that has done it or um, and find a mentor, someone who, who has done it, and then um, ask to be a mentee. Yes. And so can you share share how you accomplished whatever that is yes and most of the time people people will do it so don't be shy about uh, about doing that i love it making connections um and and i think i think for a lot of us you know i i was a dietitian for like 10 years or i, I am a dietitian for 10 years and you know I, I will say that i was not an active participant for the most of my career and when I decided to be an active participant, then I saw things changing. So I have to say that your advice um, is right on the ball because um, if you're not an active participant, you're not going to see change and you're going to stay in the same position or the same things that you're doing um, unless you create that change for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And then uh, sometimes... I would say that older dietitians will probably be, be the right individuals because they have gone through many of the experiences and they are willing to, to be mentors. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the problem is, is that where do we find these mentors? 
And that's one of the reasons why I created Dietitian Your Way was because I would love to have a central location. I mean, I have a central location now to where we can find these connections and make these connections with dietitians from different fields. And like you said, dietitians who have been in the game for 20, 30 years who are now in a position to mentor, you know, dietitians who are up and coming. So, well, um, for example, if it's like non-traditional nutrition entrepreneurs, they have many dietitians that have done so many things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm a that, part of it. That might be a good place. Dietitian in business and communications, mm-hmm. they also have many dietitians. Yep. So the even, dietetic practice groups, yep. Uh, correct. So even if you're a member or know people that are members, they can actually just search on their websites and you can find dietitians that speak, dietitians that write, dietitians that are in the media. And um, just by just writing an email and saying, you know, I would like to speak to someone that has an experience in blank area, most likely right, you'll right. find someone um, who, who will say, you know, I am here. Yeah. And making those connections are so pivotal though in our career, because it's like you said, you have other people who've already gone through these things and who can help, you know, up and coming dietitians figure out whatever it is that they need to figure out um, in their careers. So it's really, really important um, making those networks, making those connections. So I agree. Thank you so much for hopping on. I appreciate all the knowledge and wisdom that you've given us and uh, all the work that you're doing for our community as well. Um, so, so important for the dietetics community and, um, and yeah, I, I applaud you and I thank you so much. Um, any, uh, last words? I know I said that earlier, but anything else? (laughs) I said all my last words. Okay. (laughs) All right, Lorena. Well, um, for everyone who's listening and watching, please like, and subscribe on YouTube or, um, on our podcast, which is streaming on Apple. Thank y'all have a good day. Thank you.